ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, Season 3. This is episode number 9, the ninth episode. Get up, get connected. If there's anything you uh, take away from this interview today. That's right, doing an interview today. Actually, I, I did it on Friday. And uh, so, posting it up today. Anyhow, if you go to the website, ASI247.org, um, all the contact information is on there. Email, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff is on there. Also, music. Some tunes I'm going to play on the podcast today. That one by Matt Moore and another one by a, a cat named Kevin. And those will be on the website as well. You can check out more of their music. This is independent music, right? Not with a big fat record label on it. Right? Uh, so I love I love independent tunes and love these guys. Check them out, ASI247.org. Click on the music tab. Also, donations. Man, this is a listener-supported podcast. Anything that you can give... I would certainly appreciate it. You know, just keeps this thing rolling down the highway of the interwebs, right? Hosting fees needs gas money, so uh, I just throw that out there. Here's uh, here's my interview with my friend John John Gayton. Here you go. Welcome, John. This is uh, this is my interview with John Gayton, friend of mine and uh, colleague. <laughs> no, we're not really colleagues. We don't work together or anything like that. Um, I guess I wanted to kind of set up for listeners a little bit about the, the mood and tone of this interview. It's much like the interview I did with Leo. Um, I, I, I did in the morning, and we're kind of we're both not really super morning people, are we, John? Well, I'm adjusting. I got my coffee. I'm all right. <laughs> Me too. I'm I got coffee. <laughs> there you go. Me too. I'm more of a morning person than I used to be. But, uh, you know, it's getting used to... Wherever you are in the world, for us, it's it's morning. Here's my... 
<laughs> Here's my annoying alarm that goes off every so often. Like it. My wife's like, you need to change that. It's not bad. That's it's annoying like right there. <laughs> it's it's nice to start, <laughs> but when you hear it for the same time about a hundred thousand times, it gets old. <laughs> It no longer has the kick and punch it used to. Anyway, uh, welcome, listeners. My friend John here. Um, I guess going from the the end to the beginning, starting at the end and working to the beginning as far as recovery goes and as far as uh, taking on patterns of behavior that seem to own you rather than you owning them, I, I've had to adjust over the years and, and realize... Um, that I can't do this alone. Mm. And there's a lot of folks who, who uh, there's something about addiction and getting into group. There's just a weird, you know, mood about folks or a truth or a lie that, you know, <laughs> a lie that's became a truth that, that they think is, is, is true and then they hold on to is that I'm all alone in this. Mm. I can't let anybody see me. I, I don't want to talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to live out my life as this person that I expose on the surface. And, and that's not really reality for most, for the way we ought to live. It's not good for our mental state. It's not good for our mental health even. It's not good for our spiritual health. And, uh, John, I wanted to ask you a few things. First of all, you're not a recovery kind of group leader, right? Like you've never been in addiction recovery you're you're not an alcoholic or sex addict so this may be strange for listeners right but tell me where you're coming from as a as a community group leader maybe speak into that a little bit why do you do this well I'll, i think first and foremost um i enjoy people uh i'm extroverted i, I like to I'm, I'm a person of ideas I, I like to discuss things i like to uh you know talk about different aspects of, of theology, of where people are in their lives, and I think we're all at different places at different times. And so I, I see fundamentally community as family. Uh, right. It's not necessarily a lot of times people that you would choose. Um, you know, I was talking to someone recently and kind of the thought coming up is, you know, maybe we overemphasize community groups and small groups, you know, at, at our church. I mean, I hang out with guys, I have accountability, you know, like basically getting together with some buddies and, and being honest. And I think there's a place for that. And that's great. But the thing with community is, is that family dynamic, you know, you meet and interact with people at different places that are, that are wired differently. It's not people you would necessarily choose, just like you don't choose your family and everyone's different. And that there's a lot of learning and growth that comes out of that. There's a lot of uh, you know people bristling up against each other and also revealing things to each other. And I think that's really uh, the fruit of it that comes out of it. Right. Experience. Part of your story, though, is you not you didn't grow up with the perfect Christian kind of upbringing yourself, did you? Who is who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? <laughs> right. Who is John Gayton, you know? I'm going into a little bit of your story because you, you know tragedy a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a home, um, in a Christian, I would say I grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't like a, like a perfectly everything's all together sort of one. Um, 
Does that exist? Or? Well, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, we go to church and every Sunday, uh, you know, my right. dad's a pastor or community group leader or, you know, everything looks nice on the surface sort of thing. Um, uh, I, my, my father died when I was pretty young. In fact, he died when he was 36 and I'm 36 now. Wow. Uh, so sometimes that freaks me out a little, but it's, I, I've grown up kind of, be, aside from my father, I've also had other death in my life, like, um, like a lot of death, a lot of, uh, you know, I've lost friends at a young age and that's kind of, that's kind of marked my journey and affected my testimony and my onlook on life is, is kind of, uh, uh, having a sense of, of my own mortality. Um, but that aside, I mean, when, when my father died at so young, um, how old were you? I was, I just, it was just after my 12th birthday, oh. a very young, young man, very young man. And, uh, I think that my mother took that and I think she felt kind of, um, uh, you know, like my father was, was suppressing her cause she wanted to grow. She wanted to educate herself and, and she wanted to pursue, uh, all these avenues, uh, in academia and in career. And my father was, you know, old school. He was, you know, you're going to, you're going to stay home. I'm going to work. And, right. and so there, there's a lot of conflict in, in their marriage because of that. And so I think when, when he died, she took that opportunity to, you know, basically do what she wanted. Right. And so during those years, that's when we first moved up to the state of Washington, when uh, she was pursuing a master's program. And, uh, so that was my sophomore year in high school and, uh, you know, it wasn't really like, you know, being raised by a single mom, a grad school student, a lot of times I was kind of on my own. I mean, she did the best she could. She loved us, but you know, it was like, if I wanted to go to church, I kind of went, you know, <laughs> and sometimes I didn't. And, um, so, uh, I think later in life, my mom returned to a, a more active faith as did I, but it wasn't like the sort of thing where, um, where that was something like we wore on our sleeves, you know, like we're Christians and, and there was like real fruit from that. It was just kind of life and, oh yeah, Jesus is kind of there in the background right. instead of in the forefront. Uh, so historically that, that's kind of maybe the cliff notes version of, 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 of what makes me, me, um, in some, in some facet, or at least with regards to my past, um, with regards to like more the, the recovery thing and, and you coming out of that or people coming out of that and, and then finding themselves in community, uh, you know, again, I, I would emphasize the family dynamic and the health of that, but also, um, you know, guys like me, I mean, you and I've had conversations tons of times where I remember one time you asked me like, you know, is there ever something you just couldn't stop doing? You know, yeah. it's like, no, there, there really no. I mean, um, and I have my vices too. I, I like to smoke cigars. I like to drink whiskey occasionally and I love coffee, but, right. <laughs> but you know, it's, it, it's not, uh, it, it never was something that, that overtaken me. I I've seen friends, you know, succumb to addiction and, and struggle with, with, with addictions. But I think there's something to that though, with my response to you in that question in a lot of ways, like, uh, like, well, no, I, I haven't been able to not do something that I didn't want to do. It's in some regards kind of saying that, you know, guys like me, well, I can manage my own stuff. I can manage my own crap, you know? Right. And I, people like us have to check ourselves too. Right. And, uh, I, I think there's something with 
someone like you walking beside someone like me pointing out those blind spots that, well, you need to check yourself because basically in that response, you're saying that you can just manage. Right. And that's not good. Yeah. So, so again, there's healthy dynamics with different people. Getting below the surface. Getting below the surface. Stuff like that. We talked about anger and in, in, in some of your sexual history. Like you were opening up about that, you know, being a teen. And I don't know if that's re- reaction to just culture or part of the fact that your dad died. I mean, how, how you didn't wait, wait till you got married to have sex, right? No. Right? No. Um, anger? I don't. I don't know if anger was a part of it. I think it was just... Uh, kind of the metal. We were talking about that kind oh. of hard, heavy, you know, kind of angry, like, you know, hate breed. Well, metal. yeah, I, I kind of uh, grew up in the whole... Um, in, I was kind of into the whole hardcore music thing and the whole straight edge thing. And, uh, you know, I was kind of into that scene, into that kind of music. Uh, you know, it's interesting, like... Uh, and that's a whole other self-righteous movement where you basically, you know, I lift weights, I'm pissed off, and I'm better than you because I don't do drugs. Kind of like this whole <laughs> righteousness through abstinence thing and, and looking down on people. Um, and so I don't know how, how much of it was was that. I, I, I think there was a lot of anger for sure, um, a lot of anger. I don't know how much of that was like my, my father. Uh, I think it was just like, just life, just... Uh, hormones combined with life circumstances. I mean, I never was arrested. I never like gotten any kind of altercation where, you know, there were some like serious consequences or anything like that. It was basically kind of just self-righteous and for lack of a better word, masturbatory. You know, I'm just going to lift <laughs> weights and listen to heavy music and judge you because I'm, I'm, I'm better than you. Right. Um, and I was, I definitely embraced that whole thing. Uh, so kind of like the anti-addict addicted to my own righteousness. Um, I think that when you have morality playing into something like that whole movement, you know, what, it, what I recall it being, uh, it's, Oh, that's positive. Oh, you don't do drugs. Oh, right. you know, you, you're not, uh, you're not one of those kids. You're not like a party passed out drunk, you know? Oh, well, okay. You're, you're, you're lifting weights and you're listening to heavy music or, um, Oh, well that's positive. Right. Well, no, I'm a self-righteous prick. I hate you, you know? <laughs> and, and, and what's really better? I mean, would you rather have the kid that, like, you know, gets high and you know, is loving and open? Or would you rather have the kid that doesn't do drugs and is, like, a self-righteous prick? Right. I think a lot of Christian parents want their kids just to be good. Just be good. Right. You know, and I think that... Uh, especially young men can you know they like heavy music because you have raging hormones and you're pissed off anyway naturally like oh well i can be in that scene and and identify with that and it's still my parents are okay with it sort of thing you know because i'm not going to get arrested yeah but you're a self-righteous prick right you know i had a i had a friend who uh who asked me this friend that will go unnamed but had some problems with it one of his teenagers and He's like, Russ, your, your, your kids are, are, are pretty good. Where do you go to church? <laughs> like, like, that was the reason. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, be a good boy. We're going to go to church so our, our kids are, don't so, become demonized. You be, so you can be a good cause, boy. Make crimes or get someone pregnant, you know? Exactly. And that's not what it's about. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. It is. Um, even now, like, you know, I, I have small kids. And a lot of times discipline, it, it's a struggle for it to be <coughs> something that's not focused on 
on their heart is more like on their behavior. You know, be a good boy. Don't do that. Stop that. Right. Stop doing this because that's aggravating me. <laughs> you right. know, it's like it's all external. It's all behavior focused. And I think that 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 goes into a lot of you know morality that you see in the church today. Be a good boy. Stop that. Right. It's all external. Look it's, pretty on the surface. Right. And I think that's where a lot of community and a lot of churches breaks down is because everyone is coming to a Bible study or mm -hmm. being in community and then not really talking about what's going on internally inside them, but either judging others or talking about how the culture should be a certain way um, instead of, you know, <laughs> reading the Bible and, and saying, all right, where, where, where can these words help me? Where can these words change me? Where can these words give me life? Mm -hmm. You know? Instead of, you know, how can I look better to <laughs> right to the world around me, or even more, how can I how can I be better? How can I be a better person? And you know, you, a lot of people know there's something wrong with them. There's something jacked up. But like you know, we've talked about before, you know, if, if that's what you're coming to God to, it could be that you're your own God. You know, because you right. want to fix this thing that's wrong with you you right. know hey this is wrong i need to fix it in one way it's cool that there's recognition that there's something wrong but on the other hand you know going to god to fix you isn't what it's about it's it's uh, i mean god will change you from within but but starting there can suggest or might suggest that you know you're your own god right you know because you want to fix this I don't know. The Bible talks about setting, the, Jesus says setting, you know, talks about setting the captives free. Mm -hmm. But part of being a captive is also, like I've talked about a few shows previously and my interview with Leo, part of being a captive is being addicted to yourself, kind right. of being shackled by your own thoughts of yep. God is there to serve me. Yep. God's there to make my life better. Mm -hmm. um, it's not... It's about me. <laughs> it's about yeah. Yeah. Comes about the individual. And there's never there's never true happiness in that. I, I struggle with the word happiness. It's kind of a, a futile kind of a short term term. <clears throat> Long term joy is different than than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is something we get from, you know, an experience that lasts a little while. Um, but joy is is kind of that uh, that heart level. Right walking through life whatever happens it's it's that light at the end of the tunnel you yeah know? exactly despite your circumstances right and i think that's what you see often in community is a lot of people caught up in circumstances i mean you see it everywhere it's really what american life is about is circumstances and i you know what i talk about a lot as you know is what scripture i believe says you know with the promises of god isn't that life is going to quote be better it's that your response to it will change. You'll be calm in, in whatever storms around you. Right. And the promise is that, you know, when it is difficult, when the heat's turned up, when your life is difficult circumstantially, God's using that to conform you to his image and likeness. And that's the real promise. That's right. That's the good stuff. But sometimes we want it. We just want our circumstances to change. And that's not yeah. what God promises us he'll do. That's right. So. Short term. That's tough for a lot of people. It is. <laughs> it's tough for a lot of people, and there's a whole industry that will give you a pill yep. to stop the short-term circumstances. And and some of that's good, right? I mean, there's some yes, people that place. need me medication, but even that you listen to, I've listened to lectures, a lot of colleges today, and they're talking about how people are over-medicated. Yep. 
So it's it's getting into this kind of thing, whether you're whether you struggle with addiction or not. Um, there's a lot of folks who listen to this show that are addicted, and there's a lot of folks who listen to this show that are married to somebody. A lot of women who listen, some of them sure are addicted to pornography or sex or, or struggling with addiction, and some of them are, are love a guy who who is right, and uh, and it's kind of like they think that well that guy needs to go to group, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Instead of being in a in a community um, of people who who are open and honest and, and talk about their stuff um, as a couple, because as a couple you go in and you, you get healing for this. That's the best way to do it. Right. Um, when I first met you, someone else was leading the group, and I started coming to this group, and and you you were not the most emotionally stable person <laughs> oh is that is that true <laughs> that could be <laughs> you uh I, I i remember dude you were you you've done a lot of growing oh thanks since you started this group and started leading it well that was what maybe three years ago maybe a little more two and a half something like that no it was it's about it was, three years well ago, it, it was over three. Oh wow my wife hadn't had uh, our son yet right. and he's over three so wow yeah time flies huh yeah uh, that's true. I, I probably was not. I, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I, I found community at our particular church to be refreshing because um, I had led a small group at a previous church that we were involved in for like five years. I was involved in leadership there, and uh, I left that church just battered, wounded, and beat up. And, and then I, you know, we transitioned into into this church you know, providentially and then seeing community, really just seeing people just living out the gospel and also just being real with who they are, not being afraid of it. And it was kind of gave me the freedom to open up and say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And wow, that's pretty heavy. But, um, but I think that that happens. I think that's one of the good things about community when it's real, when it really does happen, when people aren't pretending or hiding behind something, when someone steps out, uh, fearlessly and, you know, says hey this is where I am that opens the door for others to follow that's and, right. and and that's one of the beautiful things about community and uh, I was able to do that I think that those doors were open to me and so uh, I might not have been stable but I was probably just letting it fly too you right know, like, you were struggling with faith right I, I am one of those people that faith does not come naturally for me I struggle with existential doubt um, I, you know, read a lot. I, I like reading about science and philosophy. Um, I like reading about different ideas. Uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't one of these guys that, like Paul, you know, had like a road to Damascus kind of experience. Uh, the one that I identify with the most in scripture is definitely Thomas. I mean, I read the Thomas story. It brings tears to my eyes. Uh, to this day, it brings tears to my eyes. It's just, uh, it's a great story. But I love the truthfulness of scripture, that that's there, that, you know, I mean, Jesus could have looked at Thomas and, you know, kind of rebuked him. You know, how dare you doubt? And, right. And uh, no, what does he do? He goes right to his doubt. He cuts right through it and goes right to it. You know, I'm right here. You know, put your hands on my side. See that it's real. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, I, you know, I'd like some more evidence or some more empirical <laughs> evidence. Like, I, okay, Jesus, stand before me. Let me put my hand in your side. You know, sometimes <laughs> I go through that. But, uh, but at the same time, um, I think. I think Jesus talks about scripture being sufficient 
Um, you know, Paul talks about, you know, scripture being sufficient. It's what we have, um, you know, that, that parable in the gospel of Luke, the rich man and Lazarus, uh, you know, where um, the rich man's, you know, begging, you know, well, please, you know, go tell my brothers about this. And Jesus said, you know, they have, they have the prophets, they have scripture. If, if even if someone rises from the dead, they wouldn't believe. I mean, that right, right there is saying scripture is sufficient. You know, right. they have the prophets. You have, we, if, if even if someone rose from the dead, I'm telling you that you wouldn't believe. Yeah. So he's saying his words are sufficient. You've right. got to take it for what it is. Especially today, we'd be like, oh, that's CGI. Or, <laughs> right. It's not going to do that in Vegas. It's the, 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 <laughs> the Bible movie on the History Channel. It's actually right. decent production. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> You're right, though. The, the British accents are kind of funny. But, uh, <laughs> but, but doubt's been a part of my journey. Um, I often wish that that uh, faith came easier or more natural for me. Um, you know, some people it does, uh, you know, I remember, um, I, I don't know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to, to our pastor who I consider a friend I have great affection for. And, you know, this guy is just, I mean, uh, he's just, he's just crazy for Jesus. He's like pom poms for Jesus. You know, it's like, it's just, his faith is contagious. It's ferocious. And it's like, right. man, I wish I had that kind of faith. You know, he's kind of encouraging me, like, well, no, you're a different part of the body. Right. You know, there's different parts of the body. And there are guys that, and, and, and women that kind of have that enthusiastic pom-poms for Jesus, <laughs> excuse the analogy, you know, sort of faith. There's guys like me that are more, you know, skeptical and inquisitive, and we have our place, you right. know. And it, granted, I, I, I'd argue they might have an easier time with some things, <laughs> but... <laughs> But they, they could say the same thing about people like but me see, in some respects. You, but. Your story, though, and I think the fact that you struggle with that helps folks who come into our group and struggle with that. Yeah. Like you get to say, hey, you know, when they get to that place where they're open enough to say something like that, you know, they, they feel relieved to say, oh, well, my group leader <laughs> yeah, struggles well, exactly. with that, too. Exactly. Struggled with it, is moving through it, and is not you're not in the same place you were, and you're kind of getting growing through it, right? And, uh, yeah, but definitely. it's not totally solved, but you're still, uh, when, I think when we met, I, I was, I was coming out of a really dark time. Um, I had a lot of identity in, um, in being a, a good provider for my family and, and working a job, uh, a career that I've been doing for a long time. I, I'm good at what I do. I make a good living doing it. And I, I had a big sense of like, you know, my, my wife and my kids want for nothing. I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm living high on the hog, but you know, I, I had a lot of pride and identity in that. Right. And, uh, to grow me as I look back on it in retrospect, I think God afflicted me and, and kind of shook those things up. Uh, you know, I had a, I, I had a upper respiratory infection, pneumonia. They thought it was asthma. Long story short, I was like sick for a year. Wow. Couldn't breathe. It, it took like, uh, it's just really jarring and alarming when you're healthy, then all of a sudden, you know, you can't breathe and no one knows what's wrong with you. And it takes like a whole year to get over this infection. Uh, so that coupled with, um, at my church at the time, um, you know, there was, it's not the church I go to now, but, uh, a lot of bad management decisions and, I can't go into those details so much, but basically there's a lot of people getting hurt. This church was dying and deteriorating and, uh, me just kind of in leadership there feeling like I had no one to turn to or no one to trust. Right. Uh, so here I am struggling, you know, with some circumstantial stuff and I don't even have my community at that time or I couldn't even talk about it. 
because I had to be respectful of, you know, my roles in leadership. You can't just, hey, you know, I'm struggling with the pastor. You know, right. <laughs> you, just can't, you can't, you got, in certain leadership, there's, there's certain things you gotta, you gotta be respectful of. Uh, and then the other thing was, uh, I was being audited by the state and basically just professionally being raked over the coals for my, uh, professional time, uh, my billing, and you know, basically all those things being th those things being threatened, or, or like I should say, what I found my identity in being threatened. Right. Uh, so I started having panic attacks. You know, and it's interesting too because I think God used that to humble me. I think uh, prior to that point, I was probably one of these judgmental pricks that was like, you know. Uh, it's all in your head, you know, and, and uh, it, it, you get over, get over, you don't need antidepressants, you know, yeah. come on, you know, people pop those like candy. It's like, <laughs> and, and they do. I mean, you know, in fairness, I mean, some people do, and I'm not, I'm not saying they don't have their place, but I think I used to probably be like much more judgmental right. about it. And it's like, God basically had me drive my car into a ditch, you know? Uh, I think that's the benefit of antidepressants. I think some people could use them temporarily. I mean, maybe some people need them permanently. It really just depends on, on where you're at. I'm not discounting it. It's a situational case-by-case -case thing. But for me, it was like I drove my car in a ditch. Right. And I it, I saw they they served as a shovel for me to help get out. You know, right. is kind of... And that, that was helpful at the time. Because you start having panic attacks. You know, it, um, uh, you know, it turns out well, then I, I couldn't really drive my car, right. you know, and I do field work. I mean, I do a good amount of driving, but you know, well, you're not going to drive today because if you do, you'll freak out. Like right. there goes your livelihood. There goes your ability to provide. And I think God used all that to just kind of bring me to my knees. Uh, and so when we had met, I was coming out of that because I, you know, had start, I had stabilized and I was more functioning, uh, I was a functioning anxious person. Supposed <laughs> <laughs> to a functioning alcoholic, <laughs> right? right. It's like, uh, I was a I was a functioning anxious person, but I, I started to work through through those issues and those things. I started to work through those things, um, you know, issues I had at church, issues I had with identity, um, uh, you know. And, and I think what God was teaching me in all of that, looking back in retrospect, is is something I still have with some conviction. Uh, even just talking about earlier, you know, my father dying young and me being his age, you, you know, your self-talk, like you get these dark little thoughts in your head, you know, like, like, oh, I'm sick, you know, I hope it's not a tumor, you know, it's like some weird dark right. little voice in, in your head. It, it's just this idea that you're not in control. Yeah. You're not in control. You're not in control of your life. You could lose it any second, you know, yeah. you could anything could happen. You are not in control. And I think that's what it was for me. I think it was that I wanted the reins. I wanted control. I still struggle with that. I mean, I think we all do. We want control. We want to know yeah. that that comes to the doubt thing, you know, that I sometimes grapple with. I want to know, yeah. you know, <laughs> part of living is, is stepping out into the, the great unknown right. of faith and going, I don't know what's going to happen next, but you know, I'm going to take a step out in this direction anyway. That's what it is. Yeah. And it's, you know, can, can you trust that God came to earth, put on sandals, got his feet dirty and walked this earth and, um, you, you know, identifies with us in that very personal way, in that, in that way where, you know, he suffered and, and he wept and, and he laughed and all these emotions that we experience, yeah. uh, God identifies with us personally. And, and can we believe that? And can we know that? And can we trust him in those things right. and give the reins over to him? That's hard, but because yeah. we want control. We want to know, um, you know, especially when others depend on you and, you know, you have a family, uh, you, you want the best for them. 
but but that that really was was kind of God just telling me you don't have control, right? So are you okay with that? You know, you're not going to have control. I got the wheel here. Yeah. So uh, that's humbling and hard. It is. Teaches us a lesson of faith. Mm-hmm. A God of love in a suffering world. You know, <laughs> that's and that's right. the thing that we a lot of us struggle with. And it's uh, it's so true that. Uh, you know, dealing with the stresses of our lives and realizing that they're not there to, to destroy us, but to maybe wake us up. And grow us. Grow us, yeah. Exactly. Conform us. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about um, how much of this is cognitive reconstruction. Oh, sure. I love <laughs> that stuff. That? I love that stuff. I know. Like, how much of, how much of just faith is cognitive reconstruction? And, and we can talk about that, but it's the funny thing is, is that there is there's a peace and a calmness that grows in the in the soul mm-hmm. that I don't think you can put on paper that no. you can't hook somebody up to a machine and figure out where it comes from I mean you know memorizing scripture having scripture in your mind and in your heart meditating on it I mean I guess you know someone could psychoanalyze that as cognitive reconstructing but I think there's some kind of supernatural peace yeah. that that comes over you you know um I mean the the Bible calls calls God the God of peace the God of comfort you yeah. know and learning His words slow to anger slow to anger yeah. abounding in love yeah. you know those things wash over you and yeah. it, it is um, uh, you know in in Philippians four Paul says I've learned the secret I've learned the secret so he's saying he learns it meaning it's not a natural thing it's something you can learn to be content in all things in yeah. you know in plenty and in want. Uh, you know, how do you learn that secret? Well, it's walking with Jesus. It's, it's, I think scripture is a part of it, having that in your mind and in your heart. Um, you know, when you have that, you can fight sin, you can fight temptation. Uh, and God promises us that that's rich. There's something really good there. Right. If we press into it, that's right. There's power. It's real power. Um, uh, it gives us the fruit of the spirit. That's, those are the marks of a changed life, you know, right there. Um, you know, patience, self-control, uh, God gives us those things. Those are the marks of, of being changed uh, yeah. through walking. Y- y- you know, it's that's the thing with faith is as long as it's called faith, it's never going to be solved. I mean, um, right. faith is uh, you know believing what is unseen. That's you know, right. um, so yeah, until we have it in front of us, until we're on the other side of eternity, until it becomes fact, then yeah, it's going to be kind of that 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 muddling through i mean uh you know paul says uh, in first corinthians you know we we see through a mirror dimly is what he says we only see in part so there's this element of kind of fumbling around trying to figure it out uh so that's always going to be a part of it you right. know uh, i suppose some people have those kind of experiences where they have a direct line to god um that just hasn't been my experience so it's right. so a lot of it's just uh the prayer of my life is very much, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's right. very much where I operate right. on right. a daily basis. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's good. Yeah. I think I think there's another element, too, kind of with what we're talking about is, um, you know, as, as we're coming up upon Easter, is, uh, you know, you, you look at the story in Scripture with Jesus' triumphal entry, and he goes to Jerusalem, and... And uh, everyone is worshiping him, bowing down, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's this beautiful scene and and everyone's falling down, worshiping Jesus. And, um, 
you know, what, what they're thinking and what they're expecting is, is, is a king, a coming king. Or uh, a Justin Bieber or something like that, it seems like. Well, the the the, the, uh, the the Jews at the time, at the first century, you know, they they, they were expecting this new ruler, this, this new yeah, ruler to take the throne, this Davidic military king coming to his throne, right. and to overthrow Rome. And what's Rome? That's their circumstances. You know, overthrow Rome, take the throne, take take Jerusalem back, take it all back, and that's what they expected. And a short time later, when they realized that's not what he was, and that's not what he was going to do. Right. They're the ones that are, that are crucifying him. They're the ones that are killing him. That's right. And I think that speaks to us in a lot of ways. Is I think if sometimes like a lot of people are honest, it's a wow, you know, this whole God thing or this whole Jesus thing bums me out. It's not what I thought it would be. Now, granted, it's so much more. It's so much beyond what they could see or what they could expect. He didn't come to take away Rome. He came to take away their sin. He didn't come not only to be a king. He came to be a savior. I think that we can look at our own life circumstances. We want our king to come in and overthrow our Romes, if you will, our circumstances. And he's come to do so much more than that. But right. sometimes we're just bummed that, oh, wow, the circumstances are still the same. Yeah. We should focus on is how we can be more like him and how we can be different in that tornado. That's right. I remember so many times as an addict just praying with tears streaming down my eyes, take this from me. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Please take this from me. And the point was that, first of all, he didn't give it to me in the first place. <laughs> it was something that I'd acquired on my own through, through my energies and my own, you know, living out my life as a, as a state of worship and, and then being owned by this thing. But it was also the fact that walking with God through this, even as an addict, part of it was I had to experience grace and I had to figure out what that was. Mm. To define it for my own life mm -hmm. because I, I I liked grace for me <laughs> you know that's kind of a human nature thing too isn't it like we want grace for us but that guy man he deserves you know I heard a social <laughs> right <laughs> social psychologist talking about that like well we tend to judge ourselves by our circumstances but we judge others by them Right. right right like if I didn't get a good grade on the test it's because I didn't get enough sleep I had bad pizza the night before, right? <laughs> so I took reason. the test, and yeah, there's a reason I didn't get a good grade <coughs> on the test. But, you know, Bob over there, he's an idiot. <laughs> you know? That's kind of, that's how we tend to... It's true. ...to, to judge it's others. really true. And then if we don't understand grace, we start to judge ourselves the same way. Well, mm. maybe I'm just an idiot. And a lot of what we see is, you know, reading in psychology, especially in the 80s, 70s and 80s, and we're kind of coming out of that now, this whole self-esteem movement. Well, if someone, if we can just give people more self-esteem, then they'll be better. And, and there is some evidence for that, but it's, again, it's fleeting. It's like almost another addiction on top of the addiction. So, right. sure, you can get, you know lose a bunch of weight or, or stop doing the behaviors that you don't like, but then if you become like addicted to yourself, that's, that's not any better either. Right. <laughs> and now we're at a time where the, the number one prescription medication out there is antidepressants right. in this country. Um, we're, not, we're not doing well as a culture. Um, we're, we're talking about taking freedoms from people as far as the Second Amendment, because time after time we read in the newspapers how young men are, are walking into schools with firearms. Oh, this is just not a, 
<laughs> I laugh when I hear some of the psychologists talk about how, how enlightened we are in psychology <laughs> today. It's like, dude, look around. Yeah. You know, there is, there is a, a, we have a heart and we have a soul. C.S. Lewis, uh, I love that, uh, that he said that, I, I believe it was Lewis that said, you're not, you're not a, a, a body with a soul. Mm. You are a soul. Yeah. And you have a body. Right. And a mind. Right. You know? That's good. So, you know, it, it's walking through that and, and waking up and, and, and being being alive, you know? I think with the self-absorption thing, and, and you know, I think that kind of coincides with some of the, the doubt thing, for me at least, is um, a lot of the way to curb that and the way to, I think experience God is to get over yourself and come over yourself and to get involved with other people's lives to serve, yeah. get your hands dirty. Yeah. You know, um, people are messy, aren't they? People are messy, but God has decreed that, you know, he works through people. Yeah. So, you know, someone like me or, or you know, m m maybe someone that struggles with doubt, they can sit there reading all the books, asking all the questions, having all the conversations. Or, you know, maybe someone, I don't want to be flippant or, or cavalier, but, you know, someone with addiction can just, like, go in a downward spiral and kind of just wallow in that. But it's like, come out of yourself, meet other people, interact with other people, get out, get out right. of yourself. And that's where you experience Jesus, I think, is, is in communities with other people. And it's with serving, it's with getting your hands dirty and, and you know, getting to see uh, him moving in other people. That's and, right. And that rubs off on you and that changes you. I think that's... Um, I think that's the cure in a lot of ways for doubt as well as for despair. As well as for addiction. Yeah. I mean, that's part of 12-step, you know. You get in a group, you talk to people, you open up your life. But I think part of Christian community beyond 12-step, and I'm not, you know, I love 12-step for the fact that it wakes people up and gets people to, to take on their behavior as a discipline. But also it, it shows people what it looks like to be in community. Yeah. There, like you were talking about before, with talking with Pastor Scott, um, this, this analogy that's in the Bible that we are the body of Christ, mm -hmm. like literally, that's, that's what we talk about yeah. when we get in community, we are the body. Some of us are feet, some of us are heads, some of us are hands. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity in the right. Bible. Right. It's done in messy, jacked up community. When we started this talk, you know, you, you talked about family. Um, it, it's it's very much like that. Yeah. You don't reject your family. No. You know. You're stuck with them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse, so to speak, right? And we walk with people, you know. Um, but at the same time, I guess there is a point where someone would would leave community if they're not if they're blatantly, flippantly, and changing. And I think that there's. There's some people that I've heard talk about that, like, well, Christians will remove people from community for a certain reason. And, and yeah, that's in there, but we don't just ostracize them. And a lot of churches do that. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that's good either. But when you, when you have a community, it's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. When, when you bring, in, bring a bunch of people into a group to take on their behavior, they, they call it anonymous because they don't trust the outside world. Right. And this is a very tender area. Right. So when we get in community and we talk about stuff, if there's a time where we had to ask someone to leave, like in recovery group, well, we've never had that in, in your group. Mm -hmm. But in recovery group, we had, and basically it was because 
someone comes into group not trying to help their, or not trying to talk about their own stuff, but just kind of judging everyone else yeah. and not really trying to change. Right. And that's where, you know, Pastor James would be like, hey, dude, maybe you just need to go out and do more drugs or porn or something until you realize that that's not your savior. Right. You know, because that person is not safe for everyone else. It's a safety thing. It's a protection thing. It is. Definitely. Or the pastor, you know, there was a pastor here in Everett who was busted for um, seeking out uh, underage prostitutes. Yeah. Um, that guy, if he's not willing to change and not willing to get help, needs to be removed from that church. That guy needs to be removed from the pulpit, first of all. Yeah. But if he's not willing to change, you know, he'll probably be fired, and that's sad. Um, I think that these guys should get help and should get help in their own church. Maybe start a recovery group, start a redemption group. Um, but if they're unwilling to do that, absolutely, those folks need to be for for the protection of the, of of the, the flock church. of the, of the yeah. church, but also for their own good. Yeah, I mean, the language of church discipline is tough. You know, it actually says uh, turn them over to Satan. Right. I mean, wow, what does that mean? But it's really for their own repentance. It's to okay, well, here we're turning you loose from the you know the protection of God and God's people. You know, you kind of just need to hit rock bottom. Maybe yeah. that's what's that's what's needed for you. Right. Uh, and there is that element to it. Um, again, it's not something that that luckily we see that often. But but you know, first and foremost, it, it is for the protection of the people, the protection of the flock when it does happen. Yeah. Someone can come in and be divisive. You know, they could be a wolf. I mean, yeah. You got to protect the sheep. That's that's really what's the most important thing. But but again, also for those people to to bring them to repentance. Right. Yeah, that's tough. I just felt t- felt to touch on that because a lot of I've heard people judge Christians for that, and it's like, yeah, that's easy to judge, but what about you? You know, if you have a family member who's, you know, you hear these stories about a guy beating the crap out of his wife, and and there's times where that guy needs to be removed, or the the woman needs to be removed from that situation. It's it's kind of the same thing, yeah, isn't it? It is. So. The safety of the community, and it's funny we don't. We had a, a situation, and I won't go into the details, of course. <coughs> but we had a gal who said something in group, and she's like, "Oh my God, I shouldn't have said that," and we're like, "Why?" And she goes, "Oh, well, that's like a kind of a top secret thing, and, and I don't want that leaving this room." And it's like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> and we're like, "You know what? That this is kind of it's kind of unsaid that you know." Don't worry, you know, we're a safe place. Right. <laughs> this is this is good, you know. This is great that you would share something like that with us. Yeah. Because this is a place where you can do that. It does not leave the room. It doesn't leave the room, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and this is a safe place to talk about those things because if we don't talk about those things, that's when, that's when troubles come. Exactly. You know? And, you know, it's also, um, you know, in terms of, of, of confession and, and kind of airing those things, um, you know, I remember like years ago, uh, a friend of mine visited the group that you were in and, and felt like, wow, this group is so intense. I mean, these guys are really like letting it rip and really, you know, confessing their sins and being really open and then kind of fleshing that out with them in that conversation. You know, it seemed like what he was kind of tracking with was more uh, the deeper and darker and grosser the sin, the more legit it is to air it, you know, like, like, um, if I struggle with uh, with a secret drug addiction or, or like, you know, I've looked at porn for six hours and I didn't get any work done, you know, some, some kind of thing that's looked at is, wow, that's really intense. You know, this guy's really opening up. Uh, it could be that 
the the other guy that's struggling with, uh, you know, hey, there's a pretty girl that sits across from me, and I'm just trying not to lust after her. That's real too. Yeah. You, you don't diminish that. That's real right. too. God meets us where we're at. Community is about meeting each other where we're at and walking beside each other. So it's not to diminish, you know, the the, the guy that's worried about paying his PUD bill. You know, it's not to diminish that. That's not. Well, that's not real. No, it, it is real for that person, you know, <laughs> exactly. and that's and that's getting different people in different areas. You know, one might be more debilitating, or more one might have more dire consequences. But that's not to diminish uh, the other guy who, you know, yeah, he's going to get up in the morning and be okay without his PUD or whatever. But that's a real concern if he has kids. Uh, again, I mean, it's all relative. God meets us where we're at in our circumstances. I think right. that's what it's for, yeah. and to grow us and in that in those storms when the heat's turned up that's right when the stressors come yep that's a cool thing about cognitive science and a lot of stuff that's studied in psychology today is realizing that depression is a, a depression anxiety a lot of stuff we're medicated for is a direct result of stress yeah it's yeah. how our mind stress. handles stress life's stressful man it is <laughs> yeah so you know um john i thank you for for being with me uh on the show, I think you're. you're oh, I'm fine. I was out of text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast today and uh, maybe exposing what Christian life really, really is, as opposed to what it. A yeah. lot of people think it is. Well, I mean, or a lot of folks feel it should or ought to be. The the other thing, <laughs> the, the other thing, just real quick, I, I'd say too is is um. You know. I think that, that life for a lot of us is kind of boring. It can kind of be like a Seinfeld episode. If you guys watch Seinfeld, uh, you know, some, some people have really intense, amazing lives. And, you know, I kind of joked about my, my doubt or like the, the Paul with the road to Damascus experience. But, you know, I mean, really, if you think about it in a lot of ways, if, if an angel appeared before your bed tonight and said, sell everything you own and go lay on a mat and, India and, you know, work with orphans or, or something crazy. It's like, wow, you know, th there's something about that as hard as it would be that sounds attractive. And with the angel and the vision and everything, you know, maybe you'd have the uh, momentum to, to do it. Uh, wow, you know, that's really altruistic and amazing. I'm going to sell everything I own and, and I'm going to live for Jesus. And uh, uh, But, but you know, in, in reality, I think what it is just for Christian life and, and, and how we walk through things with community is, is God calls us to faithfulness, even in the everyday little things and the mundane things and the, you know, writing reports at work and, and not, and treating your work as worship. Like that's actually sacred. That's worship unto the Lord. Do your work as it's unto the Lord. Live the life that God has for you, that he's called for you to do. Um, you know, first Corinthians seven talks about that. Um, you, you know, be faithful. Uh, right. but, but Hey, it, you know, and, and, and then like just with daily lives with, with the nine to five grind, you know, most of us, a lot of us can't wait to get off work because we have this sense of like, you know, what we do every day at work isn't worship. We'd rather be doing something else as though that's not the real thing. That's not real life, but right. it is. That's where you spend your time. That's what God's called you to. And it's not being distracted. It's not just a place to fill up the money tank. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's worship. And, and so I think a lot of it is is it can be harder to be faithful in the daily grind when it's not some amazing altruistic, seemingly amazing or altruistic thing. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, changing your kid's diaper. It's, uh, 
driving your kids to whatever soccer practice or right. writing that report or delivering pizzas you know that, that, that's worship you that's know right. and, and god's in that and um listening to a podcast listening on to your a commute. Podcast. there you go <laughs> redeem the commute uh you know i i spent some time in my early 20s in in bible college because i had um kind of went through a season uh where i rededicated my life to christ as it were uh, you know, repented of some sin, um, uh, you know, started, uh, you know, uh, uh, pursuing my, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, you know, appropriately. And, uh, you know, but, but, but still there's this kind of immature thing with, with me. I th no, I must've been about 19, 19, maybe 20, but this idea that, boy, if you're going to be serious about God, you need to be in full-time ministry. Then you get into a Bible college and you realize there's a bunch of like, you know, kids with, bad theology and delusions of grandeur you know <laughs> right. it's like no man go do your job go right. be faithful you not everyone gets to be like you know mr pastor all-star superstar guy or whatever um uh I've, well for, for me um, my journey took a different direction and and uh, i ended up pursuing uh, something different entirely and god's been faithful to me in that but, but i remember that at that time thinking that though it's like and, and even today I, I i see it you know guys working their jobs just working the grind like you know man you know i should be a pastor man i should go to seminary like you know well maybe but you know why are you thinking what? that yeah. because there's something more significant than what i'm doing no there's no. not yeah you know there's not right code for jesus right code for that's exactly it. that's <laughs> what i'm talking about there's a lot of folks listening to me right now who who do that who write code for a living and, and some of them you know I've, I've had emails like that just the mundaneness and the and the ordinary of life and we talked about this in our group a little bit mm -hmm. um I remember C.S. Lewis touching on, I think it was one of his letters, talking about how how God puts the sun up every day. <laughs> how mundane is that, right? And and I also heard a talk by a guy. I was I was judging atheist folks, and, and I read an article. A friend of mine shared it on Facebook about uh, these guys who were writing about the premise. You know, like that's my thing with atheists, and sometimes I get this kind of judgmental heart over it. Like I'm not I'm not called to win an argument. No, I'm called to to affect lives and and to to maybe get folks to think and and to really win souls. Yeah, not to win arguments. So I heard this this story about you know these guys talking about how you know quantum physics and how everything was birthed out of nothing and and how stupid and silly that is. It's like okay. What's zero plus zero? Right. You know, like how do you, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of faith in that. And, it, and I guess, I guess what I, what I came to realizing and going into some of what you were talking about with the mundaneness of life is that people look at their lives and they don't feel like there's any structure to it, that there's anything special about it. But really, honestly, you know, if we look at the if we look at the universe, hmm. so I'm going to go into this a little bit because this is this is awesome and it, and it helped me see faith a little bit, defining faith. Um, you know, the Big Bang theory guys will will say things that are totally true, like th there's a there's a star burning mm -hmm. billions of miles from here mm -hmm. that that we can see with a telescope and and, and it's probably out by now, mm -hmm. you know. There's, there's these pillars of, of 
dust that I heard this guy talking about. Like pillars, of, they're called. It's kind of cosmic dust, but it's really, it's really <coughs> like galaxies and solar systems, you know. Mm -hmm. And and he puts his finger on this thing, and he and he put, you know, just the end of his finger. He goes between this part of my finger and this part of my finger, and that little that little speck of light and this little speck of light is like is like our galaxy. That's how big it is. Mm -hmm. And and then he kind of goes into this talk about how insignificant we are to think that we're anything oh, yeah. special in the universe. But hold on a minute. Right, I've grappled with that, by the way. When right. you look at cosmology, it's just wow. Well, check this out, and and this this kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, if if it wasn't for you, your you and you and I met, and we had a talk, and there's people that will come in and out of the group. Mm -hmm. um, there's people that will meet in the group. Mm -hmm. um, I'll I'll talk about myself. My my mom and dad met in a bar in Ballard. <laughs> a little pub, and I drive by there every so often, and it and it kind of blows my mind a little bit. But that's where my mom and dad met. If it wasn't for that place, I might not exist. Mm. All right. If it wasn't for everything happening exactly the way it does, I wouldn't be me. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be you. Right. If it wasn't for all of the weird, mundane things and the places that we work, what if God had us in mind before he created the universe? That's Ephesians 1. Mm -hmm. Before the, the, before the, the foundations whole foundations there. of the earth were laid out, mm -hmm. he had you and I on his mind. Blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> we are just a pinpoint in this little universe. Yes, we are. We are somewhat insignificant, but God loves that little tiny point of light that we are. Yeah. You know, well, it's it's a mystery. It's amazing. It is, and it's it's also faith. It is. It's faith. You Today, things hope for. <laughs> that's right. Today is not. Today is not an accident. If you've listened to this podcast up to this point, wow. <laughs> you haven't turned it off yet. <laughs> you you are you're here for a reason, man. You're supposed to hear this for a reason. I, I totally believe that. I don't believe in coincidences. Um, it's taken me a while to get there, <laughs> but it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, thanks again, John, for being on the on the, the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor. You bet. I'm a friend and a fan. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like what you do. Quite it's a few of these too. It's right? a blessing what you do, man. It's it's amazing the things you do. It's cool how God's used you and your story to affect others. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's you're inspirational. Not well, just thanks, that. man. <laughs> I'm trying to trying to just uh, be honest and put it all out there. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't always real popular. <laughs> I'd probably be a lot more popular if I, had, if I had five steps towards, you know. Go Tony Robbins and there you you go. Know, make some money. <laughs> <laughs> Have seminars coming to a city near you. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. All right. Uh, I just feel led to do that this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for bringing us together through all of your... Um, interweavings and and orchestration and I, I know that this morning is no accident I know mm -hmm. that John and I meeting is no accident um, that I, I probably wouldn't have met John if it hadn't have been for the recovery groups that I didn't want to go to <laughs> <laughs> the first one being forced by the state of Washington you know me having to open up in a group of people and and realizing even though I was angry about it how how real it was and how therapeutic it was and how honest it was and how it really got me to wake up like a fresh splash of water to my face and 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 I thank you for your providence I thank you that you are there that you do love us that you do not leave us or forsake us 
as much as we may think we're forsaken. I thank you for, for John, and I thank you for his ministry, and I pray that you continue to bless him on, on the things that, that he's doing and the lives that, that will come in and out of the group that he's leading, as mine has been. Lord Jesus, I thank you in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. And until next time, bye. <laughs>